welcome to the Daily Woven Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Dow. This is the podcast all about making with fiber and the sheep who grow the wool we love to create with. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 16. I am so excited for you all to hear this week's episode. Emily Hartman of Mrs. Hartman's Farmhouse Market in Montana raises Lester Longwools, and oh boy, she just absolutely loves this breed with such a passion. I had a blast talking with her and learning all about her flock, her business, and she shares some great advice for new shepherds or for those of us who are looking into getting started raising sheep. And do you all like the new art cover that I put on this episode? I am so excited about it. I will be keeping my main logo for the podcast, but I was so happy to have this logo made by Caroline of Wild Feather Farm on Instagram. I sent her some of the endangered breeds of sheep, and this is what she came up with, and I just absolutely love it. So this is the art cover I will be adding to the rest of this season's podcast episodes. And again, if you are making and crafting while listening to this episode, be sure to tag me in it on your stories on Instagram. It just makes my day seeing you all listening to the episodes while working on your projects. All right, now let's get into this fun interview with Emily. Hi, Emily. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Hey, it's so nice to be here. I'm super excited. Well, I would love if you could start off by sharing a little bit about yourself and the breed of sheep that you raise. Yeah, sure. Oh, man. Um, So I am Emily Hartman. I own Mrs. Hartman's Farmhouse Market. Uh, I live in the Flathead Valley in Northwest Montana. Uh, I was born and raised here. Uh, I raise Lester Longwools, which are considered threatened on the Livestock Conservancy list. I'm also participating in the Shave and Save program, which you recently featured here on your podcast. Yeah. And what made you originally want to raise sheep? Ooh, uh, (laughs) buckle up here. I have a lot to say. Um, (laughs) So just hang tight. Um, So growing up, you know, we always had an assortment of animals, including, you know, we had a flock of, it was mostly Romney sheep and a few others. You know, my mother, she dabbled in the fiber arts. You know, she was really creative, Um, you know, but at the time she had five kids. (laughs) <laughs> and she worked full time. And so she decided there just wasn't enough time to raise that with those animals. And that and the, the market for wool sheep back then was not really great. But she passed away. Um, and really, I had actually, I hadn't even thought about raising animals for a very long time. Like I just put that behind me. I like, kind of buried that um, just because it, it kind of, it, it did hurt a little bit to think about those things. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward to having my own kids, you know, my oldest is now eight. But at the time when he was like maybe three years old, he said out of nowhere, he was like, I want sheep. And I was just like, no way. <laughs> you know, it just like, it hit me. Um, but you know, back then he was like, well, you know, cause I asked him just out of curiosity. I was like, well, what kinds do you want? He's like, well, I want the white ones with black faces. And I was like, wah, wah. <laughs> you know, and he was like, well, his reasoning was like, so I can see him in the snow, which was like the cutest thing. And I was like, three-year-old reasoning is like the best, but I just, I felt that spark just ignite. And I just, I knew I had to get sheep. Like I knew I had to have them in my life again. Um, You know, at that time, the timing wasn't quite right, but I figured, you know, I could use that time to learn fiber arts, you know, so that way when I did get my sheep, I know what to do, um, you know, what I'd like to do with them and all sorts of stuff so I started with a drop spindle and a bunch of breed samplers off of Etsy like that's how that was my method I was just starting with breed samplers on Etsy um but I was immediately drawn to the long wool breeds they were just super easy to spin I loved the luster 
my the Lester Longwell, I had gotten a Lester Longwell sample in one of my packs and it really had just jumped out at me. You know, it was just surprisingly soft compared to some of the other Longwell breeds. Um, you know, in retrospect, it was probably actually like lamb fleece in that roving. Mm-hmm. And I'll get to that later. But anyway, so yeah, I started to research them and I just, I fell in love with them. Um, you know, they had a rich history. You know, they were fundamental to pretty much all, forming all of the other Longwell breeds. And that's, there's just something very special about that. And then to me, they also, they just made, they just made sense. You know, they're originally bred for production and that's something that they still excel in today. You know, and for a small, you know, for a small farm, the ability to diversify your market can mean, you know, the difference between sink or swim. Um, and that's just, that's so important, you know, and with a person like myself with limited startup resources, I really had to stretch a budget you know, because you can stretch yourself thin, you know, running more than one breed. You know, I know that lots of people do that, but for myself, I just knew I had to focus on one. And, and for the Lester, you know, the Lesters have so much to offer in that regard, you know, from their next to skin, soft leases and the lambs, even the second sheer hoggets, like in some of the white individuals, they're a little bit softer. Like the micron count doesn't seem to really reflect that, but they really are like you hold um, that fleece up to your neck and it's soft. Um, and, you know, you have the more durable fleeces in the adults which are perfect for outerwear you know warp yarn locks for spinners and filters you can shear once or twice a year you know depending on if you plan on processing for roving you know or marketing um those locks of spinners you know you can shear them once a year um you know i usually have like my less stylish adult fleeces and hoggett fleeces they, they get processed into roving you know and then the more stylish fleeces get sold you know like by the pound or like for locks but, mm-hmm. you know, lambs, they can be sheared at four months old, which is, that's pretty remarkable, you know? Wow, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I might save some for like six months or whatever, but like four months old, a lot of them have really nice fleeces to shear. Um, and like in my area, most people are like what I would call cross-s people. And I can sell those raw fleeces, you know, especially the lamb fleeces, like it, it's like nothing, like they just sell. And then, of course, like my more stylish adult fleeces, um, people like prolocks and stuff. But yeah, people around here generally like to process themselves. You know, they come in different colors. That was the other thing that really drew me to them that kind of added to that variety and that diversity that I'm talking about, like for my farm. Mm-hmm. So they come in white, they come in black, like just a really gorgeous, like just raven, shiny black. And they also come in English blue, which is like a variegated gray. And they're really beautiful. I don't actually have the English blue. Um, so that's kind of like on my goals list. So yeah, the, the Lester, it can just, it can appeal to pretty much every end of the wool market, you know, b- between all those different things, you know, and then there's the meat, you know, which is mild, you know, it's just really excellent. Um, even, you know, I actually haven't butchered a full grown ram, but so many people in my breed association, they're just like, yep, done it really good. Don't be scared. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. Have the meat end of things. And then, you know, of course, when you have them butchered, there's the pelts, which is a byproduct of that. So, you know, once again, that's diversifying your market. You know, use their super milky. So, like, I'll sometimes I'll go out and milk them for making soaps and stuff. Some people make cheese. Um, you know, that's not really my focus, but as far as, you know, the milky end, they're just naturally milky. But I also had liked the idea of having a pulled breed. You know, horns were just like not something I was really ready to deal with. You know, I had three small kids mm-hmm. and yeah, horns, that was like, a no, that was off my list, you know, but they're really just, they're friendly and calm. 
um, you know, yeah, like a ram is still a ram. Um, but yeah, I just, I really love them. Like right now we're up to 17 lusters. You know, we did have some losses this year, which you know, that happens. Um, so 17, that includes this year's lambs. But I mean, I started in 2018 with six ewes, you know, and two rams. And um, I actually, I hadn't even told my husband that I bought them. I just, uh, I just bought them. <laughs> How did how did he feel about that after you told him, um, honey, I just bought a flock well, of sheep? <laughs> I actually I did not tell him. I just kind of waited until he noticed that there was money missing out of the account, and he was just like, what? "Where did this go?" <laughs> I'm like, "What? What did you buy?" And I was like, "Oh, I was like, I have to tell you something. Um, I bought some sheep." Uh, and he was just like, what? Because at that time, you have to realize, like, end of 2017, like, early 20, I had just sold my childhood home, like, you know, our family home. And so I had, like, I mean, I didn't have a ton of money to burn, but I had some. And, like, that was, like, the first thing on my list. I had been researching this, and it, it had, like, my my brain was just, like, locked and loaded. And I was talking to a breeder, uh, Travis Wright, over in Wisconsin, and I just did it. And he was just, my, my husband was just like, are you out of your mind? He was like, we don't have a, like we don't have a house right now first of all like we just sold your house we have to still buy a house like like what are you doing and I was like it's okay it's it's okay because we don't have to pick them up till like June you know at this time it was like beginning of January I was like we have six months this is it's fine it's fine it's gonna be okay you know we'll make it like a little road trip or whatever the kids will be out of school it'll be whatever it'll be great and he yeah you know it took him a while to warm up to it like he actually loves them now but yeah at the time he was just like you are insane, you know, but we went on our road trip and we, we got them. And so, you know, at least he was supportive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he came right. He, he had to, he had six months to come around to the idea, right? <laughs> well, you know, they were, and I told him, I was like, well, it's a, it's non-refundable. I mean, that was kind of a partial truth. Um, but you know, I just, um, <laughs> I, I had, I had to do it because at that point I just, I knew it was like now or never, you know, Mm -hmm. If I didn't do it then, I don't think I ever would have done it. I mean, I don't recommend that as a business model, like just totally jumping in like this. Just jumping in. <laughs> it had to be done. So a little bit backwards there, but, um, you know, we're figuring things out. Now, what is your setup like with them? Do you have electric fencing or like the wire fencing? How do you, how do you have it set up? Um, so right now, I, it's something that we're kind of still working on here. I do have field fencing, um, and I'm, we're actually continuing our fencing saga. It's still like never ending, and I can't wait for it to be done. So field fence, there's some pre-existing barbed wire. We just kind of left it up. You know, there's a lot of the fences um, that are like 70 years old. Like they're, it's ridiculous. So we do have to work on fencing, um, and I do have it cross-fenced right now, a few permanent sections. But then I also do electro netting, which is really great because I can move them around, let them mow the lawn and around areas. You know, my setup is kind of unique in that I actually don't own the property that my sheep are on. Okay. I have family that puts up with me. So, <laughs> you know, that was one of the trade-offs. You know, land here is really expensive. And when we were looking for a house, that became a huge reality. That was the other reason my husband was like, you are insane. <laughs> but so I kind of do a little bit of everything, but I also have to be respectful of you know, my family's ownership of that land and, and their feelings on stuff. And that's something we've kind of been back and forth on a few times, but I think we finally got it figured out where, you know, I have some permanent field fence areas and then electro netting. And then in the winter time, my sheep are in a much more secure area, a um, little bit tighter of a space, um, you know, and eventually 
you know, I would like to work myself up to as my sheep go further out into like those back pastures, I would like to build up my, you know, um, security there. Um, because in the form of, you know, either livestock guardian dog or, um, or something like that, because there can be predators and stuff here. Um, so far, I think we've really just gotten lucky because we've kind of kept the sheep closer to the house where people are mm-hmm. and they have their dogs and stuff. So I think I'm on borrowed time where that's concerned, but I think um, predator predator control is actually something that I would love to bring up at one of our breed association, com- breed association conferences in the future, because I think that's such a, such a big topic and, and a lot of people kind of get lost on that. And I, I, I kind of feel that. Yeah. Now in Montana, I know too, like you guys have some pretty harsh winters and do they do pretty well in the snow and the low temperatures? Um, yes and no. Um, it depends on shearing. You know, okay. this last, this, this winter was not that bad. They did really great, but my shearing was off. So they're actually, most of my sheep aren't even sheared yet um last year you know the year before was just so cold um I had actually sheared my sheep in January and like two weeks later cold snap just like really cold February and a few of them they they did get a little bit stressed from that um you can tell because they start to lose a little bit of their wool um and that and they're also the pregnant the pregnant ladies um so it could have been a combination of those things so trying to figure this out like my timing on stuff I have an idea in my head of what I want to do but it doesn't always translate so but they've done really well so far you know the biggest thing is that it's really arid here I think the Lester Longwell fleece is almost like they almost look better with a little bit of humidity on them you know like tighten up those curls or whatever Mm -hmm. because they look really beautiful after rain like sometimes in the dry heat of summer it's like an oven here so like just it's really different but their fleeces they get a little more straggly or whatever looking but once you wash those fleeces it's like they remember what they're supposed to do they're like oh we like this and then they 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 turn into like nice little curls again. So they remember what they're about. <laughs> now you shear all your sheep yourself, right? I do. Yeah. So I did go to shearing school back in 2018 when I like first bought my sheep. I also, my other purchase right after that was a class for shearing sheep, which Montana State University um, does out towards Bozeman. Sometimes they change the location, but really great program. They, I think they alternate years, like beginner to you know one year and then the next year intermediate and I just happened to be on the beginner year um for them on their schedule and it really worked out really great program you learn so much and I think really honestly any producer that's serious about getting into sheep should at least learn kind of how to do that because you might have the emergency crutch one of your sheep one time you know for lambing or or just at least knowing the process so if you do have a shear coming, you kind of just, you know, the process, you know what to do and you can be of most value to them and help. Um, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, but I do, yeah. I do like to shear my own also, because if you are choosing to shear two times a year, you know, you can kind of set your own schedule mm-hmm. and it gives greatest flexibility in that because, um, you know, I, like I said, I share t- two times a year and shears are few and far between in the Western half of Montana. Like there's some people that travel, but it's like, you know, either you have to be on it, like here's their schedule because their schedules fill up or you're kind of out of luck. So that was important to me. Yeah. And I think it's nice too, that you can kind of, you can look at their fleece and be like, okay, I like the way it looks now and you can shear them Mm -hmm. and then, or extend that time. That's, that's really cool that you can do that. 
yeah, it, it's, it's a really nice um, little bonus for sure. Well, I would love if you could kind of talk a little bit about your business, Mrs. Hartman's Farmhouse Market, and all the goodies that you sell on there. Yeah, so um, Mrs. Hartman's Farmhouse Market, I, I originally actually started out with more of the bath um, and body care type products like, you know, soaps and lip balms, candles and stuff like that. In fact, my very first show that I did was a fiber fest, which I probably really honestly did not belong in at the time. But I was like, hey, I'll add on like felted soaps and like we'll make it like a little kit and it'll be really fun. And that was actually my very first show I did. First year I was in business. It was amazing. So thank goodness, you know, Cammy Noise, she has Copper K Fiber Fest. She didn't know any better, I suppose. <laughs> you know, she included me in that one. It was their first year. It was my first year. It worked out great. Um, but, you know, I've grown since then. But I knew I wanted to add on. I always wanted, I, I, because at that point, I, I knew that I was going to grow my business um, to include more of the farm products, the sheep. You know, I may add on more stuff later, but the sheep and wool is kind of nice add on to that. You know, it makes it really feel real. Um, whereas like the soaps and the candles and stuff are kind of like my backup. Like I always have that ace in the hole, you know, I always have something different to sell depending on, on different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I went on there, I loved the art bats that you do. And especially I love the riptide one. That one was super oh, pretty. Yeah, that one, that one's pretty. That one actually has some lesser long locks. Um, the baths I kind of just started doing this year. I have a little blending board so I can make these little, I call them bat sandwiches. So, you know, if there's anything we've learned from 2020, we don't eat bat sandwiches. We spin them, right? Um, just <laughs> lots of just crazy things happen this year, right? But um, yeah, it's really fun because you can really just make like a nice little layered bat. So they're not really super traditional, like not in the card, you know, a, a drum card or anything. They're just on my little blending board. And they're just a lot of fun to do, you know, just kind of get some of that creativity out but they've actually been selling really well for me this year. And I do, I mean, I like to dabble in other, you know, not just the Lester Longwell fibers. I love all fibers. So it's kind of nice to mm -hmm. kind of just get that, that little extra play over on that end of things. Yeah, for sure. I, I feel the same way. Like even when we decide what breed we're going to raise, I, I know I'm going to keep, I'm going to have to keep buying other people's fiber too, because it's just, mm -hmm. I love yeah, playing with all the fiber. <laughs> me too I have no problem buying other people's yarn or other people's fiber just because a lot of times I think it kind of helps bring some relief to you know there's all there's so much pressure all the time to to perform and perform well with your business that sometimes it's just kind of nice to like not have to like go through the whole process from start to finish just like this is already washed and dyed and made you know I can just jump right on this project and not feel like I have to like go through this whole process because you know having kids can be tiring and sometimes you just need something like this that little like that little bit of relief <laughs> you know just oh for sure yeah something that's <laughs> just already ready to go yeah you can just so. go yeah dive in exactly now would you like to share um a biggest challenge that you've had to overcome with raising sheep Oh boy. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a few, you know, I'm still, I, I, I mean, I know we had sheep growing up, but like this just feels so different. You know, number one was finances. I mean, yeah, I bought them and I had a place to put them, you know, land here's expensive. So finding the space to raise them, you know, cause I know like, my aunt and uncle, they've always had this property, but it took a lot of courage, um, to ask that permission. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, I'm so lucky, you know, 
that they have been just so gracious about that and putting up with me. You know, starting a farm from the ground up is just really challenging because, you know, like I said, a lot of those fences are 70 years old. It's barbed wire. The posts are rotted out. So my learning curve has been, you know, when I was growing up, you know, we had jack fences and split rail. So that's like a completely different type of fencing than, um, you know, engineering a, a fence with like field fence and, and everything. So that's been a huge learning curve, just like, you know, making that work. But, you know, if it can keep a sheep in, then you're doing pretty good. Um, yeah. I've had to teach myself a lot of things. So there's like some, you can, you can definitely tell like the fences that we did when we first started and now they're getting better. You know, I'm also still figuring out rotational grazing because we, well, it, depending on the field that they're in, the grass, it just, it's different. Um, so like if it's the lower ground, like on a hill, sometimes that, those bottoms can have a little bit nicer grasses, um, a little more lush. And then some of the, the hills um, are a little more dry. So trying to figure out like, okay, like the stocking rate, because it's going to vary, you know, depending on the quality of the pasture, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, that's been kind of a learning curve for me, trying to find that balance, you know, soil and pasture improvement. That's another thing. So the other things like kind of just that are everybody, you know, getting into it, they're going to be learning you know, the sheep nutrition, you know, recognizing different diseases, you know, health complications and treatments and stuff, you know, working with your vet if you have one, you know, cause that's, it's so important to have, you know, a good relationship with them. If you can have a mobile large animal vet in your area, that is so helpful. Like they're probably not going to know like a ton about sheep because most of them don't. Most of them like work with cows or horses. So sheep are a little bit more of a mystery um, to many vets because they don't only spend a whole lot of time with that. So you really have to learn a lot on your own. (laughs) There's, there's a lot of learning on your own. Um, And that can be hard, but you know, that's where a breed association is so important, I think, because it's, they're just so helpful. You have a place to turn to, to ask questions and stuff. So yeah, that's, there's a lot of different challenges. I'll tell you that, like, you're going to be learning on the fly. Like you can have a lot of books and stuff and you're still going to be learning on the fly. Right. You still kind of have to learn as you go and get into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, can you share what the most rewarding thing is to you about raising sheep? Oh man, these loaded questions. Um, (laughs) You know, I think for me, I don't know if I've quite hit it just yet. Like I love doing what I do. I love when people, um, you know, cause not a whole lot of people, I mean, if you look at the grand scheme of things, not a whole lot of people are farming or farming sheep and just to, just to just be doing it is amazing. But, you know, if I can look at where I started, you know, and where I am now, I mean, I've only been in it two years. Right. But if I can look like say five years down the road and look back at where I started and where I am then and see that how I've improved my sheep because my sheep aren't perfect. Um, you know, they all need improvement and see that I've improved them. I think that will be just amazing. Like even this first generation of lambs, you know, last year's lambing season wasn't super great. And this year was super successful, even with the few losses we had. And already, like, I'm just super happy with the lambs that we had this year. So, and it's just, you know, seeing how the choices that you've made with your ram, with the ewes, and, and you know, it just makes you feel like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. And are you breeding for a certain trait? 
really um, you breed towards the breed standard and that's really, that's, um, you know, I'm going to say, you know, you just never compare yourself to like where other people are at, you know, the breed standard is what's going to keep you focused and, and just driven. Um, you know, you have to realize that the Lester, they were the very first breed of sheep with a breed standard, um, which is like a pretty big deal. And so like one of the odd things that I love about the Lester Longwell is that they're judged against the actual breed standard. It's what's, it's what's called a card grading. Um, mm -hmm. And not a lot of people really understand it because they're used to like the more like peer to peer um, competitive type judging and stuff. You know, to me, that's just way too abstract. And with the card grading, like that's just comparing one sheep to the breed standard. That's pretty like, that's just, that's all it is. Like there's no question about what the luster should be. That's just it. Right. And they're not going to be perfect. Right. But you know, the best get the blue card. And, you know, once that card grading is over, the final competition is allowed between those animals, you know, but I guess, you know, just breeding to the breed standard and doing the best you can with that, you know, like I said, I don't have perfect stock and I'll admit that like each one is, is an individual and each one has areas of improvement, but being able to like, look at that sheep and be like, what does that sheep need? Does this ram complement that? Gotcha. Yeah. Now when you, like, how do you do it? Do you have your rams in a separate field from your ewes, or do you keep them together unless they're breeding? How do you do that? Um, so Lester Longwolves, they are um, seasonal breeders. So they breed in the fall. And for me, it, it kind of depends. Like last year, I did kind of keep my rams in with my ewes just because of, of space issues. Mm -hmm. So last year, that probably wasn't the best choice for pregnant ewes. I just, I had, I wasn't able to keep them separate just because they can get a little bit pushy about the feed and stuff. So right now my rams are in with my ewes just because once again, space issue, we're still, we're still kind of waiting on grass to grow and I'm tired of feeding hay, but the rams, they have enough room and there's enough grass where they're at that they're, they're just fine. It depends on also on the temperament of the ram. Generally they're pretty mellow, but some, not so much. It just sometimes that's the way they are. They probably yeah. should belong in your freezer. Um, but <laughs> you know, um, and I'll probably keep them in for, you know, like another month, month and a half. I don't even know what day it is anymore, to be honest. And by then all the rest of the grass will have caught up up on those drier hills and keep them separate because, oh, about mid-August, like they're probably not going to really get serious in the breeding for a while, but I'll probably start putting my breeding groups together mid-August, you know, continuing from there, you know, let breeding season happen. And once that's done, the rams go in their pen and the girls go in their pen and put them away for the winter, kind of, you know, let them, let them do their thing, make babies and the rams just get to eat by themselves. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm curious how people decide like, okay, I'm going to breed this ram with this you. Is there certain things you look for in deciding that? Um, now I'm still pretty new at it. And for me, it, I have limited resources. I just have what I have right now. And this year I'm actually probably going to be getting new Rams, but you know, there's a few different things, uh, a few, or in a few different ways to do it for me, because I just have what I have. It kind of comes down to characteristics. You know, the lines are all, you know, some people line breed and that's, you know, sticking to certain genetics, um, with certain sheep basically. Um, and you can do that, but also you know, for me, like I take a look at my, my two rams. I have one that's really highly pigmented. You know, he's not real big. You know, he probably 
be a little better in that department, but he's got really nice pigment in his ears and his nose and his eyes, like which is a luster attribute. Like that's pretty important, right? My other ram, he's nice and large. He has really nice type, but his pigment isn't as good. Um, and I found that out my very first year because he kind of threw like a kind of very pink ram or a very pinkish looking ram lamb, like in the ears and stuff, which is which is not as ideal. And so I was like, okay, he's not going to go with that you again. So I bred that you to the darker colored ram because I know that he throws really nice dark pigment. And then I put Chancellor, who's my big ram with not a whole lot of pigment, in with um, some of my colored girls because he's color factored. So he can also produce colored babies, even though he's white. And also with some of my, some of my more pigmented girls like Doris, who's got a lot of dark on her face. And so it really balanced out really well. So some of my darker pigmented, my, my darker pigmented ram went with my lighter colored girls in the, you know, as far as pigment goes. And then Chancellor, some of my darker pigmented girls. And I was able to balance that really well. And I know that's not really like the only thing, because right now I just working with what I got. Um, and mm -hmm. I probably won't really start seeing what I want and, you know, for a few years now, really. And how many lambs did you have this season? Hmm. I'm gonna like lose count here. Um. Let's see. <laughs> there was one point I had like no clue what was going on. I still obviously because we did lose some. Um. So we did lose three lambs this year. Two were on the smaller side. They were twins to first timers. And then of course Miss Kitty, who had an incident, you know, just freak accident. Um. So how many? I have I had eight. I have eight lambs this this year. I think that I have left. I had a few more, but we honestly, like I said, we lost them. So I'm like sitting, like, <laughs> I don't know how many lambs I have. I should know these things, right? <laughs> Trick question. Well, I, I feel like a lambing season can probably kind of be a blur when it's all, when you're in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it definitely like, especially when they're still lambing and you're just like, wait a minute, how many do we have now? Like you thought you had the number yesterday and then today that number changed. And so like, I feel like in my mind I had like 13 lambs, but it, that, I know that wasn't the case. Like, I don't know why my brain got stuck on that number. Like for, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but yeah. And do you save some of the use for your program and then sell the rest? How do you do that? Um, right now I'm still building up my flock. So right now I'm keeping all my ewes. Okay. And you know, my ram lambs, you have to be very selective about your ram lambs. Um, I'm still kind of learning what to look out for and really you don't want to pick too early. So I have some that I'm kind of keeping an eye on and just, you know, letting them grow out because they're going to change quite a bit, you know, over the next year and two, even two years, there's, there's just a lot of growth happening there and a lot of changes. So you'll see them really just You'll either see magic happen or you won't. And with the use, just because of where I am at in my program, like I can't compare it to anybody else's because I, you know, I'm in the unique situation that I don't have a lot of access to breeding stock over here. There's Ann Camper down in Bozeman, and I think there's a few new popping up over in like Washington and Idaho, but they're not quite at that stage either. So I really, um, at this point, I'm kind of just like building up uteruses in my flock. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, okay, you <laughs> girls get to stay. Like, I need you you know, to make babies, please have pretty babies, um, <laughs> live. And the rams, I'm not, you know, I had a few ram, I have, I have five ram lambs right now. And there's only like two of those that I am kind of keeping an eye on. And even one of those two, I'm not even like real sure about, but you know, we'll see. Keep them around to see what they turn into. Exactly. 
Well, is there anything that else that you would like to share that maybe I didn't ask you and you would like to talk about? Um, you know, advice to a new shepherd. I, you're obviously doing your homework right now, getting to know all the different breeds. And I think that's amazing. Um, you know, get some books if you haven't already, you know, stories guide on raising sheep, managing your ewe, lamb problems. Those are by Laura Lawson. They're all great resources for you just to kind of like read up on ahead of time. Like, it's kind of like having a kid, like, you know, like when you're pregnant, you like, especially your firstborn, you like do all sorts of like, you get all sorts of books and like reading. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and you have all sorts of ideas of how you're going to do it. And then once you have those kids, you just throw it out, out the window, right? It's yeah. kind of like, you kind of find your own way. Exactly. So you will find your own way. You know, don't compare yourself to anybody else. Like you can admire people and what they have. Like I love seeing other people's flocks of lusters. They have such beautiful sheep. You know, it's easy, it's easy to start comparing yourself to others, but you, then I have to like rein myself back in and be like, this is where I'm at. And it's exciting mm -hmm. because I have the opportunity to prove myself and, you know, to myself you know, by taking what I have and turning it into something amazing. You know, I have some great resources here. My sheep are great. They're not the greatest. Not all of them anyway. They, I think they're the greatest. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. you know I, what I mean? I like they're, saying. they all just, there's like something that I would love to improve about each of them. Right. And being able to just like look forward to that, you know, just don't, but like I said, just don't compare yourself, you know, too hard you know, to other people and where they're at. Cause everybody's at a different place. And also, so before you're choosing a breed, you know, this is something that I think is really important and that could like make or break a person is looking into like, look into your breed association that you're like the different breed associations, none, they're not, none of them are created equal, right? Like look into that, like, like they, some are just, you know, they're not as hands-on or as active as others. And it could make it kind of difficult to like figure out the things that you need to figure out. So that's why like, I love I remember like doing some recon work back when I was kind of, you know, um, figuring out which breed I wanted to pick. And the thing that I loved about the Lester Longwell Sheep Breeders Association is that they just, they have like this sense of like family, like this community, you know, and they always put up with like my silly, ridiculous questions, but they, you know, they like being part of a group that wants you to succeed, you know, they want you to succeed because they want you to, you know, the breed to also succeed and that won't happen if, only a few people have them, right? Right. You know, being a part of that, you know, they send out like monthly newsletters that, that, that cover like this broad range of topics. And, and so super informative. Um, they also have like this annual conference for our breed association. You know, I don't know if every breed association does, but, you know, I haven't actually even been to it yet, but, you know, they took videos and pictures like from previous years. And I just, I can't wait. I'm hoping this year I'm like crossing my fingers, like, please let things like, let the stars align. Um, but I mean, it's held at Colonial Williamsburg. It's in November. Oh, wow. And they Colonial Williamsburg. They have Lester Longwells there. That's like where they first like imported them into. Right. Um, so yeah. it's just super special. And there's just something very magical about that. You know, and any fiber artist would probably want to go. I mean, you know, anything from like breeding topics, sheep management, historical tours, you know, they have a, I think they did like a fiber mill this last year. You can have the opportunity, the opportunity to attend a card grading event. So you can kind of understand that more, um, you know, and it's great because there's so, there's such a great association because they, they invite, you know, all the members to go, but also, you know, non-members can also come. So it's like, they're just really open and transparent. And I love that. So 
that's kind of like my advice to you and you know to other people as well you know there's different tiers of of um of membership with our with our breed association you know whether you're an active breeder or just want to be like a friends and family if you even if you just have like a few weathers you'd be a friends and family member and also there's a youth membership as well so i think it's just really great so i think that when you're looking at a breed you really just kind of do some recon work and look into the breed association does it fit your personality you know what i mean because they're like i said they're not all created equal so yeah i just i i love it and i feel like i've been adopted by them i love that because you know i, I that's something i didn't think of you know i keep hearing you know find a mentor but in, to find a mentor in the breed association too like that that is that's a great advice well good i'm so glad you know because and that's you know another thing too is our breed association is basically it's like founded on women really I mean you look at like um, you know all the different women that founded our breed association and it's like that's really inspiring you know being a woman mm -hmm. in agriculture you know I want to be one but you know I'm just I'm just doing my own thing out here out west um, so <laughs> <laughs> you know so um, but yeah I, all together though like. I'm just kind of, I always, you know, when people, when sheep people start talking, they just go on and on about their sheep. Right. But like, there's all those other little things, but yeah, I just, I love the Lester Longwolves and I love the breed association and, you know, really the, just, I know that I'm like just rambling about sheep now, but like, I just think about the Lester Longwolf and they, they're just this dynamite combination of like just beauty and grace and style and they're just so generous in their production of everything that they do they just they put their heart and soul into everything that they do like between growing and making those fleeces and milk they, they just like i mean robert bakewell really knew what he was doing when he put a sheep together you know what i mean and you know i will i you know I, the one thing i did forget to say and I, this is probably true of a lot of long wolves like one of my favorite things is you know after they've been sheared you know you have that beautiful fleece but then you go to look at that sheep and they just are like shining in the sun i mean it takes your breath away just every single time i just like they are just like these little unicorns like they're sheep but they're like little unicorns like if you could imagine what like a unicorn would look like in the sun that's what a lester longwell looks like in the sun after they've been sheared they're just so shiny and pretty and i just love them and i just like, it's just like that romantic thing. Like, that's, you know, one of the other reasons why I just fell in love with them. There's just like the certain romance about them, but also that practicality. And that's what I just, it like really just meets in the middle between like all of my worlds, you know? So. Well, I just love, I love your passion about them. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm totally in love with them. I really am. Um, you know, like I said, I haven't been in the breed association for very long. It's been like a whole, like not even two years, but. I just, I'm so grateful for it because it's something I think that I really just needed in my life. You know, I go, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it's so crazy with kids and stuff all the time. And I, you know, honestly, it's the best time to be raising sheep is when they're still small, like when your kids are still small, you know? And um, so I really hope that you find something that you love, but I just, I do love them. And I think that's an important part. And if you are choosing a breed, you have to love what you're doing. Cause otherwise I don't even think you'd believe in it. You know what I mean? Right, right. Yeah, all that hard work. You need to b definitely believe in what you're doing. Yeah. So, anyway, like I could just go on and on. I'm just, I'm, I, <laughs> and that, that is a huge deal. So, 
Well, that just, that just means you really, you really love it. So I do. (laughs) Well, before we go, would you like to share your website or an email where someone could get in contact with you? Yeah. Um, so I'll just give my website, um, because all my other contact is on there, including Facebook, Instagram, and my email. I have a contact form on there, but it's hartmansfarmhousemarket.com. Perfect. And and I thank you so much for Emily for coming on here and taking time out of your day to come on the podcast and to share all about your Lester Longwells and your love for them. And I can't wait to continue to see all the wonderful products you put up on your website and watching your flock grow. Yeah, well, thank you so much. I just love talking to Emily. Man, she just ignites a fire with her passion. I hope I have that same feeling for my future sheep as she does with her Lester Longwells. And I thought it was so great how she talked about not comparing yourself to others. It is so easy to do that, but Emily is so right. We can most definitely admire others, but we need to be happy with where we are at and be excited to keep growing and improving in whatever we are doing. And I loved hearing how active and helpful the Lester Longwell Breed Association is. Really looking into all the different breed associations was not something I had thought of before. So I thought that was such great advice. And before I end the episode, Emily had wanted to share about some great things happening at Fiber Fest Eureka that is taking place this summer and forgot during our interview, so I'm going to include it here. So the festival is taking place August 1st and 2nd at the Lincoln County Fairgrounds in Eureka, Montana. One of the new features at the festival is a celebration of Sheep Fiber Farm Expo, where 10 or more unique breeds of sheep and the producers who raise them will be showcased. This is a non-competitive show geared to highlight the individuality of different breeds and various operation management styles, large and small. Emily will be presenting her Lester Longwells, including a live shearing, along with more highlights like dog herding demos by Desiree Moffitt of Go West Border Collies. There will also be lots of free demos and activities for various ages, and it's all in a big outdoor setting to give everyone the opportunity to spread out under the big sky. So if you are near there, it sounds like an amazing fiber festival to check out. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take care and keep creating with fiber. Hey.